Thank you, Johnny, and good afternoon, everybody. If you could open your Bibles, please, to Colossians chapter 3, and starting at verse 12. If you're using the Red Church Bible, that's on page 1184. Colossians chapter 3. And before we start, let's just pray and commit this time to God. Father, we believe that your word is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Let it cut through into our hearts right now. And let it expose the sin in our lives. That sin which takes away our joy in you and prevents us from becoming who we truly are in Christ. It's in his name that we ask this. Amen. Well, let's read from verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, Holy and dearly loved. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. Does that sound impossible to you? Do you feel that there's just no chance you could be that person, even just for five minutes of your day, let alone 24-7? I do. Maybe you think, well, I could be that person. Only problem is this. All the pressures that I experience in my life, the exhaustion of work and family, the health problems that I face, I just, I can't live this life. Well, I want to encourage you. 
Number one, it's normal Christian experience to feel this way. And number two, you actually can become, in increasing measure, that person that you truly are in Christ. How can we? And what will it look like? Well, we're going to find out in our passage today. In fact, in Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is writing to ordinary Christians, like you and me, Christians who've been given new life in Christ. And he wants to remind them something really important about their old life. Look back at verse 3 in chapter 3. He says, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So, that life that you used to live before you trusted in Christ, it's gone. It's dead. You've been given a new life. Christ's life is now your life. That's your unchanging status. You can't lose that. That's your new self. And that's brilliant. I mean, we can all get behind that. But here's your big problem, and mine also. We keep falling back into the sinful practices of our old life before Christ. We don't live like we've been made new. We continue to sin and fail. In and of ourselves, we don't have the power to live the new life that Christ commands us to live. How do we account for this paradox? We've been made new, but we don't live like we're new. Well, look down at verse 9. This is really important. Paul says, Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. So, on the one hand, we have an unchanging status in Christ. We are safe and secure in him. On the other hand, we're not yet made perfect. We have entered into this gradual process of being made like Christ. And that accounts for why we continue to struggle with sin. We are still becoming who we truly are. Thank God that the sin that we continue to struggle with does not change our status of being united with Christ. Yet, in this passage today, God commands us to become our true selves, to become more and more like Christ. And it's a command, my brothers and sisters, that we must strive to obey. And also a command, we lack the power to obey. So before we learn what the new life looks like, and Paul has three different marks of the new self of Christ, 
which we're going to look at in a moment. Paul must first tell us where to find the power to become who we truly are. So he starts by telling us four staggering identifiers for anyone who has new life in Christ. First one in verse 12. Have a look down there. It says, We are God's chosen people. You are chosen by God. He chose us before we ever chose him. And if that sounds strange to you, look back one chapter to Colossians 2, verse 13. Colossians 2, verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. A dead person can't do anything for themselves, let alone place their faith in someone. Clearly, God chose us. He chose us to be made alive with him before we were ever able to choose him. That's a mystery. I don't quite understand that yet. But it's what God's word says. And it should stagger us and humble us to think that when we didn't deserve his mercy or his grace, God chose us to receive it. Wow, what a deep security that brings. Not about me holding on to God. He chose me. Here's a second identifier. We are set apart for him. In verse 12. Not only are we chosen, God chose us to be holy or set apart for him. His treasured possession. And that gives us amazing purpose, doesn't it? We're not living for ourselves. We are living for the king who has rescued us. And that in turn, leads to our third reality. We are dearly loved by him. Now, if we've been chosen by him and set apart for him, how much more proof do we need to know that we are so dearly loved by him, precious sons and daughters of the king of the universe, There is one more identifier, though, and it's actually found um, in our passage in verse 15. We are members of the body of Christ. You have a new family. And this is the church all over the world. And right here in our local church, we are united together in Christ. You're part of the family. Your identity is inextricably linked with the brothers and sisters sitting around you right now. We are united together in Christ, both now and into eternity. How amazing is that? So that's who you are. You are chosen set apart, loved in the family. And when you think about it, isn't that what everyone in this world longs for? To be chosen, 
loved, treasured, to be part of a family forever. We have it all here in Christ, don't we? These four identifiers here, they are the rock-solid foundation for your life in Christ, your new life in him. So do you feel them? Do you know them? Because only once you know who you truly are can you start to live out your true identity. And Paul also, very importantly, now tells us the power source for becoming who we truly are. And that power source is simply Christ in us. I mean, if you remember back to verse 4 there, we read it at the start. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him. The power source is his life in us. Now think about it. Christ is the only person who can really live the life that we've read about in our passage today. Because we participate in Christ's life, his spirit is alive inside of us. and So that means we have all we need to live this new life. Christ is empowering us to become like him. And I have to warn you, if you don't understand that, you're going to be crushed under the weight of the commands coming up in this passage. Because you might wrongly think that you must garner some inner strength from somewhere inside of you to live this new life in Christ. Or you might think, oh, well, it's half my strength, half God's. No. We can only become who we truly are in Christ, in the power of Christ, working through our efforts. So with that firmly in mind, let's now look at three marks of that new self which Paul describes. We are to put on our new clothes of love, submit to the rule of Christ, and do everything in the name of Jesus. Firstly, put on the clothes of love. Look in verse 12. It says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Clothe yourselves in compassionate hearts. Now, I don't know about you, but does that not strike you as impossible? I mean, how do you put on a compassionate heart? (laughs) If you were to ask me to put on a smile, even when I'm really not feeling like it, I can put on a smile. I can fake it, right? How on earth am I supposed to put on a feeling? A compassionate heart to be touched by my brother or sister's pain where I just simply am not feeling it. Well, the only answer is it's a miracle of Christ. It's got to be his power in us, changing us, giving us new hearts. 
And what is the result of that new heart of compassion? Well, I think acts of kindness naturally flow out of that. Kindness towards our brothers and sisters in the body. He goes on in verse 12, clothe yourselves in humility. Now I think this is another big heart issue. Do we look down on other members of the body and think in some ways we are better than others? Or do you elevate your brothers and sisters above you in serving their needs first? treating them better than they even deserve at times. That's humility. And then what flows out of that humble heart that God gives us? It's the next thing on Paul's list, isn't it? Gentleness. Gentleness towards all. Not a judgmental or harsh demeanor, but gentleness towards our brothers and sisters. Next, Paul tells us to put on the garments of patience, to be long-suffering with one another. And there's a reason why we need to do this. Just nobody in this room has been made perfect yet. We are a beautiful but a messy church. So Paul calls you to something radical in verse 13. Read it with me. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. To bear with our brothers and sisters in their sin and their mess is to help them on their journey to becoming their true selves in Christ. We pass over all the different wrongs that might be done to us. We don't bring every one of those up. We know that we do need to confront our brothers and sisters at times with their sin, and yet we also pass over. And knowing that there will be times when we will hurt each other, either unintentionally or not, and we must forgive as Christ has forgiven us. And then in 14... Let's read it. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Basically, become a loving person in the church, filled with not just any love, Christ's love. Because Christ is your life, you can love like he does in increasing measure as you depend on him. So I want to encourage you. If you are in Christ today, you have all these clothes of love in your spiritual wardrobes. In the power of the Spirit of Christ, keep putting them on, moment by moment, and become who you truly are in Christ second mark of the new self in Christ is that we submit to the rule of Christ. Now, we read back in verse 1 of this chapter that Christ is seated at the right 
hand of God in the place of authority. And we, as a church family, we're to submit to his loving rule over us. Specifically here, Christ's peace and his word. Look at what Paul says in verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. We're called to submit to Christ's peace. What a wonderful thing to submit to. But sometimes the last thing our selfish hearts want to submit to. How often in the church do we disagree over petty things that don't really matter? We grumble and complain about so-and-so doing this or that. And sometimes it's not even a primary issue. Maybe it's the length of the sermon. What that kid did. Which songs were chosen. What way the the chairs were set out. All such grumbling and complaining is not in submission to the peace of Christ. So if we do see something in the church that's not in align with God's word, let's go with the clothes of love on us and address it, but always with the intention to promote peace in the church, not division. Let's not come in all guns blazing, but instead clothe ourselves in compassion, kindness, Patience, gentleness, speaking the truth in love. Of course, we're going to disagree. That's part of life together as a family. But we can do so peaceably in the power of Christ. One other thing we're supposed to submit to. In verse 16, we're supposed to submit to the word of Christ. Let's read there. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. You know, it's not my word or your word. Actually, that's the authority. It's Christ's word, isn't it? It's, uh, we are to let it dwell richly among us. Don't you love that language? To dwell richly. And what does that look like? Well, no matter what you feel your main gifting might be in the church body, here we are all instructed to teach each other to do what the Word says. And we are all instructed to admonish or warn one another when someone is not doing what the Word says. This should actually be a normal part of our lives together as a family of believers. Now, if you're the one teaching or admonishing, you better come clothed in love and humility and gentleness before you even think about approaching your brother or sister. And likewise, on the flip side, When you're the one being taught, if someone comes to you sharing God's word with you, 
admonishing you, you also need to be clothed with humility and love, willing to listen. Being thankful for your brother or sister who cared enough to bring God's word, his healing word, to you. Yet I think it's clear, and you probably noticed this, that the context which Paul is mainly thinking of in this passage is teaching and admonishing one another through our singing. Now, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Because oftentimes we're not mindful of this main purpose of singing in our gathering. Our purpose when we sing is not simply vertical, singing praise to God, although that is a primary purpose for sure. What a joy to sing praise to him. But we're also singing horizontally to each other. Some Sunday mornings I walk in here and I'm struggling to believe the promises. I'm disappointed. I'm weary. On those days, you, my brothers and sisters, are teaching and admonishing me by singing the word over me. Whether you're young or old, you're singing. When I just look around and see you singing, that encourages me that the promises are true. To keep going in the faith. So sing out and teach and admonish your brothers and sisters around you and let the word of Christ dwell richly among us. Become who you truly are in Christ and submit to that peace of Christ and the word of Christ. Lastly, and briefly, as part of our new life in Christ, we do everything in the name of Jesus. Read verse 17 with me. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In becoming who we truly are in Christ, our old motivations, often selfish, are replaced with new ones. We don't live to satisfy our own selfish desires anymore. No matter what we accumulate, it's never enough anyway. And we don't live to please people anymore either because we can never measure up to their standards no matter how hard or how long we tried. Instead, we do everything in the name of Jesus. Whether that's doing jobs around the house, sitting around the dinner table with your family, setting down chairs at church, going to work on a Monday morning, scrolling through your phone in the evening. No exceptions. Every action, every word, do it in the name of Jesus. I think that means three things. A, representing him. When people see you, they should see something different about how you speak and act. Do they see kindness, compassion, the humility of Jesus? 
you're representing him when you're doing it all in his name. Secondly, I think this could imply that we are also empowered by him. If we're doing it in Jesus' name, that means we are depending in everything we do on Christ's power to enable us to do it, not on our own strength. And thirdly, I think to do everything in the name of Jesus means to simply do it for him. We make it our aim to please him. And I think that changes the way we do the things that we do, right? If you're doing those mundane jobs around the house, do it for Christ. To serve him and your family. If you're watching TV, think carefully about what you consume. Is it pleasing to Christ? Is it good for your heart? If you're going to work on a Monday morning, don't do a half job on it. Give it your very best. Do it for Christ. Aim to please Him. And let your boss see your good deeds. If you're setting up chairs and you think, do you know what? Nobody ever thanks me for doing this job. Do it for Christ. He sees. Aim to please Him. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Yes. Giving thanks in everything. Paul fits in one more beautiful item of clothing into this passage. The garment of thankfulness. What a difference it makes to put on the clothes of thankfulness in place of mumbling and complaining. So become who you truly are in Christ and do everything in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. To finish, I'm not sure what challenges you the most from this passage today. But for me, there are some days I'm tired, disappointed, feeling weak. And I actually just give up on those days, living the new life in Christ. I don't know if you can relate. I just pull on those old clothes of selfishness, harshness and speech being a big old grump really do you have days like that? well this is what got me this week the amazing news of this passage is that at every moment in your life you actually have the power to live your new life in Christ Because you are always in Christ, you can always become more like Christ. Isn't that just transformative? It's not some special strength you must drum up from inside yourself. It's Christ's power 
already dwelling inside of you. His Spirit. So it's possible to put on your new clothes of love even when you're tired, disappointed, and suffering. You can submit to that new authority of Christ's peace and his word. And you actually are able to leave your old motivations behind and do everything for Jesus. It's all by Christ's power in us. So let me encourage you. Go. Become who you truly are in Christ. Work hard at it with Christ's power working through you. Go and live it. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we confess we don't have the resources to live this beautiful new life in and of ourselves. Thank you for giving us new life in Christ. Thank you that Christ is in us. So fill up our weakness with your strength and save us from depending on ourselves. Give us new grace each day to live the new life you have won for us. It's for his sake we ask. Amen. We're going to sing a song which brings together some of these themes we've been talking about. It's called There Is One Gospel. And in the third verse, there's something that really struck me from this. It says, Now on my Saviour I fix my eyes. My life is His, and His hope is mine. For He has promised I too will rise. I stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you standing in that gospel today? Are you fixing your eyes on your Savior? Using this song, I encourage you to do that, to place your hope and your trust in Him again. Let's all stand and sing if you're able. Thank you.